Hello and welcome to episode number 351 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, Norwegian ends its long haul operations, British Airways brings out some funky new luggage and a light aircraft door is found on a UK motorway. In the military news this week, some KC-46 tankers get delivered. Test pilots learn how to a high flight testing of electric commuter aircraft is pushing the boundaries. And it's sad news when we hear about uh, the Royal Air Force Spitfire woman, Eleanor Wadsworth, who has died at the age of 103. But joining me this week, as always, in the PTUK studios, it's the man, the master himself. It's Matt Smith. <laughs> what did I do wrong there? Hey, uh, yes, hello everyone. It's time for a uh, yes. It's uh, how's it? This is it. Just me or has this week gone really quickly? It has gone very quickly, Matt. I'll agree with you there. Definitely, yeah. The weeks seem to fly past. We're already like halfway through January. I know it's it's like and and lockdown as well. It seems mm. to have not sort of made any difference yet. But then, I guess because the job you do, people still need stuff to be delivered, and oh yeah, and the job that I'm currently doing requires people still want their wine. So you know, <laughs> winning. In fact, <laughs> so I, if anything, we want more wine. But... I was going to say we're, we're both benefiting here. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, I I transport medical equipment, and you transport. Mm, wow. Yes, absolutely. Medicinal, medicinal. Well, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a, yes of a different nature. Yes, medicine, yes. but not as we know it, Jim. Yeah, it but, uh, <laughs> Good to see you in the studio as always, Matt. Uh, making sure everything is going out nice and smooth. Yeah, save that till we get to the end, will you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so joining us this week as well, it is the connoisseur of all fine wines, especially in first class. It is, of course. Neville <laughs> Yes, I ran out of wine earlier this week, so I had to go for a quick uh, top-up uh, during the week. But uh, no, all is well. Thank you very much. Uh, hopefully the audio is good this week because mm. I've bought a brand new uh, audio interface, so it might be a bit crisper. Hopefully. Yes, and I got a bit carried away, Nev. I wonder if I could trouble you to just back off a little tiny Yes, I, I thought... Uh... <laughs> I thought that might be the case somehow. Yes, a bit keen. Good? Yes, there we go. thank you. That's much more like yeah. it. Sorry about. It. And still, you, yeah, you know, I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the start of a show without having to adjust some kind of audio. Normally, I'm on though. That may still yet to be coming. But mm. uh, yes, yeah, so have you had a good week, Nev? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Busy, busy at work. Uh, obviously, still not going anywhere. Uh, but uh, yeah, lots going on. So uh, no, very uh, very happy to be on the show tonight, as always. Yeah, it's good to have you on, Nev. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see you dressed to the occasion as well. Again, always. With a nice crisp shirt on as always, good <laughs> Nev. And joining us all the way over in the USA. And uh, he has got his PTUK uniform on. So big round of applause for Armando. Oh, yay. I get the gold star for being in uniform. Yeah. How are you guys? You're always happy good, to be good. here in live. Yeah, absolutely. What's, what's, I, what's this behind say, you? I, I need, I need, I need <laughs> details of the picture that's behind. Just describe it for our audio listeners, please. Oh, these are, this is a picture from World War II from the 94th Bomb Group at uh, Ruffham Airfield right there outside of Barry St. Edmunds. It's, oh, wow. Uh, where I used to fly general aviation. Carlos, uh, Matt, you and I all flew yep. out of that airfield in, the, in our little GA airplanes. But uh, this is at, at its height when it was uh, the busiest. Wow. Cool picture. I like it. Are, are, you, are you chilly, Armando? Because that is the PTUK sweatshirt that you've got on there. It is actually chilly here. The last couple of days, it's been hovering right around 27 degrees Fahrenheit at night, usually in the 40s during the day. And 
actually yesterday I was, I, I did two flights, one at night, one in, at lunchtime, and they're pretty chilly. I'll be flying all day tomorrow also, bundled up. Uh, are you you're well, back in the, uh, the parachute plane tomorrow? No, actually, I've been flying for Civil Air Patrol quite a bit. We did some search and rescue uh, training on Wednesday and then, or yesterday, and then uh, night currency. And then this weekend, we'll actually be flying uh, Air Force uh, Reserve Officer Training Corps, ROTC cadets from one of the local universities uh, near Greensboro. And then I'll be in the skydive plane on Sunday. So potential future pilots you'll be flying then tomorrow. That's probably my favorite thing uh, in aviation right now is just uh, mentoring that, that next generation. And, and these uh, university cadets, they are already committed to the, to the Air Force or they can cross over into another service, but they're, they're already going to school in aerospace science, aerospace science. They're on the track to receive an Air Force commission. And these particular cadets are in, in what's called a flight orientation program, which is obviously kind of uh, mentoring them to be uh, either manned or unmanned uh, pilots. So they get to fly with us uh, before they graduate. Wow, wow. Now we have a special guest today, which Carlos will introduce in a moment. But uh, I mean, both uh, Carlos and Armando, I think it's safe to say, have both had some pretty impressive sim kit in their time. Uh, Carlos, especially now, I think, I assume yours is all still in a box somewhere. Is it uh, Armando? It is indeed in a box. And uh, yeah, I am actually really happy to have this guest on because I feel personally responsible for getting Carlos hooked on yeah, it's all your an fault, actual yeah. home yeah. simulator setup. Yeah, yeah. Je uh, Gem Gemma will be having words with you at some point about that, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah. joining us uh, this week, um, a uh, well, as Matt said, I have a new piece of kit, which I got for Christmas this year, uh, along with other bits of various kit that I've been treating myself to over the last sort of 12 months since the first lockdown funnily enough <laughs> funnily but enough. uh yeah it's uh, it, we've got the guest we've got on uh, tonight on the show uh runs a website and runs a, a a business that sells all bits to do with sims and add-ons and bits you can buy for your home sims so gives you great pleasure to welcome onto the show james brown hello hi james how are things with you uh very slow at the moment yeah i was gonna say <laughs> How things, how things in the, uh, the obviously the sim selling world is uh, aching a bit. What with um, all this Brexit lark, but we'll 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 go over that later on. I think. Oh come on, you, you said that, that word without us having a drink I ready. Know, I mean, that's that's not the way forward. Come on, you know the rules. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you on, James. <laughs> yes, um, it's it's very slow at the moment. I think it's due to the also the customs of Brexit and stuff causing problems getting stuff from Italy. Hmm. Um, but uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to sort that out very soon. Um, hopefully this, this, and also the SATEC have really gone silly, really, because they've not got nothing in stock um, in any of the stores. Mm. Um, and it's just slowing everything down. I thought it would be a busy during the lockdown. And it's not, it's slow. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll we come will back to that in more detail later that. on. Yes, yeah, we will. Absolutely. But uh, Nev, uh, you've got some uh, a weekly roundup, haven't you? 
Yes, indeed. And just some breaking news today, actually, uh, in the last couple of hours. Uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has announced that the UK will close all travel corridors to protect against the risk of as yet any identified uh, new COVID-19 strains. Mm. Uh, new measures will take effect from Monday at 4am and all arrivals will now be expected to isolate for 10 days when entering the country. Also, it's 12 years since the miracle on the Hudson and in reflection and commemoration of the anniversary, Captain Sully Sullenberger posted on his blog about life lessons learned and how to deal with crises both in and out of the cockpit. Specific, uh, speaking specifically about aviation, he wrote, what do I wish I had known as a young pilot? Well, he uh, identifies uh, temper your natural optimism of youth with strong doses of reality. Be wary and be ready. And lastly, be able to build and lead a team. So that's uh, great stuff. And hard to believe that was uh, 10 years ago uh, that this all happened, wasn't it? 12, 12 years now. 12 years. 12, Indeed. sorry, 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, links to those details. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the stories that in our, our roundup will obviously be in the show notes. And, it, and it's still on my bucket list to get here to actually go and see this this uh, aircraft on this A320. You will do. You'll get there. You'll get there. I know. At some point, hopefully. Right. So we're going to say a big welcome to everyone who's joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. Loads of all the famous faces in there. I say famous faces in there because you are all famous. You are listeners. Big hello to Lee Davies, uh, Richard Adams. We've got, uh, we had airliners live in there as well. Uh, Alan White, hello to you. Stephen H, uh, Graham Haley, uh, Nick Codling is also in there. Masha, hello to you, Masha. Uh, just scrolling through Richard Adams. I don't want to miss anyone out. I'm going through, scrolling through, scrolling through, and just make sure I haven't missed anyone. Brandon Plainspotter23, hello to you as well. <laughs> And thanks for joining us in the chat room. Don't forget, as well, if you listen to the show as an audio version and you want to join in with the YouTube chat room fun, don't forget to take yourselves over to our YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash plain talking UK. Hit the subscribe button, hit the bell icon, which is right next to it, to be notified when we're live and recording new episodes because we would love to have you in our chat room family. So make sure you go over there. So I suppose you better start off with some commercial news. So uh, we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from across the world and the UK. So if everyone is ready, yeah. yes. ready. let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story, and uh, well, it's the first news story that I think everyone's talking about at the minute. The sources for this come from the Av Herald and CTV News, and I think most people would have heard already about uh, that dreadful crash last weekend of uh, flight SJ-182. So uh, less than 12 hours after coming off air last week, uh, on the show, we learned of the tragic crash of SJ-182, the flight operated by Sriwaya Air, uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, a Jakarta-based Indonesian carrier that took off at 0736 UTC from Jakarta bound for Pontaniak. 
That's correct. ADSB information from flightradar24.com website uh, showed that the 26-year-old Boeing 737-500 had reached a maximum altitude of 10,900 feet and was last recorded at 250 feet before the signal was lost at 7.40 UTC, just four minutes after the aircraft took off. According to airline lie or airline.net, I should say, a total of 56 passengers and six crew were on board, including seven children and three infants. Residents of the islands nearby, Thousand Islands, were out on the sea in two boats when they heard two explosions and then found debris afloat in the sea. Uh, it was raining at the time. The residents returned to their islands about two hours later and reported this to the police. The aircraft registered Papa Kilo uh, Charlie Lima Charlie had been in storage for nearly nine months. Uh, the US Federal Aviation Administration sent an airworthiness directive requiring operators of various Boeing 737 aircraft models, including the 737-500, to carry out engine checks before they could be flown again after being out of service. Director General of Air Transportation Novi Ridianto uh, said in a statement. He said the plane was inspected on the uh, 2nd of December, including checks for engine corrosion, and was declared airworthy by the Transportation Ministry on December the 14th. The disaster has reignited uh, um, concerns about safety in the aviation industry, which grew quickly after the economy was opened following a fall in the dictator Suharto in the late 1990s. The United States banned Indonesian carriers from operating in the country in 2007, lifting the action in 2016, citing improvements in compliance with international aviation standards. The European Union lifted a similar ban in 2018. Shuaya Air has only a minor or has only minor safety incidents in the past, uh, though a farmer was killed in 2008 when an aircraft went off the runway while landing due to a hydraulic issue. Uh, today, Friday the 15th of January, the Indonesian Navy reported that the pinger of the CVR, the cockpit voice recorder, was found and recovered. However, the CVR's memory unit is still missing. Uh, the search for the memory unit is still ongoing. Uh, the KNKT, or Indonesian National Transportation Safety Commission, reported that the flight data recorder has been found and the data of the FDR has been successfully downloaded. All 330 parameters recorded are in good condition and are currently being analysed. Now, Amanda, am I right in thinking that the, uh, the part they're missing um, off that CVR is is the black kind of rod that sits on top or at the one end of the um, the orange uh, or the voice copy voice recorder. Yeah, the the memory module, if you want to think about it, is basically just a hard drive that's in there. Mm. There's a uh, uh, so many different variations of this. Some flight data recorder and CVR combinations. Some aircraft have two separate a CVR and an FDR, and then sometimes the memory modules. Now these. As you can imagine, the, the CVRs are designed to withstand some tremendous impacts, um, but even then, you know, it's still just a machine. So, um, yeah, they're, they're going to be able to analyze quite a bit of data from the flight data recorder. Uh, that, that's going to give them a pretty good idea of, of what happened. Um, now, getting the, I guess, the intent of the pilots from, from the actual voices inside and the radio communications is going to give them just that much more. But I think within just a few weeks uh, on FDR analysis, we'll, we'll probably have a pretty good idea of what was going on. Um, especially, you know, I, 
I hate that the, that the, that this story they, in the media, they're reporting this story and then they immediately say, you know, and the Max crashes uh, in 2019 and they're linking the two things are two totally separate things. But, uh, but having that, that flight data and the parameters that was going on inside the airplane is gonna be really important in an initial uh, analysis, I suppose. Did you guys, um, Nev, Matt, and uh, James, did you guys get a chance to see the pictures that were on uh, social media and obviously on Aviation Herald of this crash? Because to me, that honestly, the, pit, the, the pieces of aircraft were really, really, really well torn and shredded, and, and they were not very big pieces at all. The actual aircraft pieces were very, very fragmented. Yeah, I think the, the thing is that it's all speculation really is at the, at the moment. And I think that until they uh, actually get download the data from the CVR and FDRs, we're never going to know what really happened there. But uh, it was uh, certainly an unusual accident uh, from, from what I can see. Uh, but we'll just have to see what the, uh, what yeah. the outcome is. Yeah, I don't think we should sort of get too involved in speculation mm. or anything like that, should we? But uh, I, more details will no doubt uh, be uh, forthcoming, I think, is the best thing to say there. So, Matt, you've got a story all about uh, Norwegian. I have indeed, and it's um, not the news that we were hoping for, but I guess some of us were, are not surprised, really. So uh, the headline is basically uh, so Norwegian.com, uh, Bloomberg and Reuters are the sources for this particular story, and the headline is Norwegian ends its long-haul operations. So Thursday morning brought news from Norwegian, Norwegian's border directors uh, in a press release. Norwegian Air Shuttle announced a significant shift in focus from a global low-cost carrier to a European short-haul focused airline ultimately this means an end to its long-haul operations uh, so jacob tram who's a ceo of norwegian said our short-haul network has always been the backbone of norwegian and will form the basis of a future uh, resilient business model uh, the the uh, board commented that norwegian's entire boeing 787 dreamliner feat that had been grounded since march 2020 and that future demand remains highly uncertain uh, under these circumstances a long-haul operation is not viable for Norwegian and we see these operations not continuing any further. Uh, they went on to say that simplifying the business structure will build a robust and solid uh, company that will attract investors and continue to serve new and existing customers. Uh, the plan will see Norwegian Air Shuttle shrink its fleet to 50 narrowbody aircraft and target a reduced debt to 20 billion Norwegian kroner. That's £1.7 billion pounds in sterling. Uh, in December, the airline debt stood at 66.8 billion crowns. Uh, that's around about £5.7 billion pounds in sterling. Unfortunately, this announcement comes with around 2,000 100 job losses including 1,100 in the UK and around 300 UK based pilots will be made redundant the Balpa Union said in an email uh, statement uh, the customers with bookings affected by the future changes in our route network will be contacted directly and will be refunded. Uh, the examinership and reconstruction process is undertaken in Ireland for Norwegian Air International and Norway for Norwegian Air Norway and associated subsidiaries will continue as 
planned. Yesterday's announcement is subject to creditor, examiner and uh, reconstructor support and subsequently court approval. I mean, it's not really the news I guess we were sort of hoping for. Um, now, uh, I know, James, you were saying that actually you've, you've flown with Norwegian uh, not that long ago when we were having a chat. To sort of, you've used them sort of a few times. Yeah, I've been to Los Angeles quite a few times with them. Um, and I've done also Orlando as well. And they were really, really good. Uh, uh, customer service was excellent. And uh, they, they had a really good way of uh, serving passengers on the aircraft as well by you could just tap on the screen and you could just order something on the screen. Okay, right. No, I like that. So, I mean, just uh, presumably, I mean, obviously the whole model of this was low-cost transatlantic sort of flights here. I mean, how did it compare price-wise to um, sort of your more traditional carriers like, say, Delta and American oh, Airlines? It was it was genius. It was, I, I like uh, James, I flew on Norwegian from London out to Oakland quite a few times every time I, I was going out to Reno, and I think... Uh, couple times I did the Newark route and it was it was incredibly cheap and for the product it it was great I I really enjoyed Norwegian and kind of how uh, our good friend Pip is saying in the chat room it's uh, they were we've been talking about Norwegian having these troubles for a long time but I think this is actually kind of good news they're going back to where they started you know in the in the 90s and 2000s early 2000s, they, they were a regional airline and they decided to do the low cost model. And that's, it's something that they know. Uh, so I, I really hope that they're able to survive this and, and kind of uh, come out better here a couple of years from now. But I, I really, really enjoy the Norwegian Airlines product. I mean, are, are, are they sort of sort of, you know, stumbling into an area which uh, more established low-cost carriers, I mean, are they, I, I, I mean, both of you are saying there that obviously the product is good and, you know, it's, you know, the service is excellent, but can they realistically compete with the likes of Ryanair and, and people like that for these routes? I don't think they would be able to do, compete with Ryanair too much because they are well-established. And um, Dermot O'Leary said he's on about doing flights from Ireland to the US. I don't know if he's going to start doing that or not. Wow, okay. Well, that just... Oh. I mean, that's... See, I, 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 I do think there is legs... I mean, okay, at the moment, obviously, because we've got all this, you know... Apparently there's a pandemic going on. I don't know if anybody noticed. Mm. Um, but, I, I mean, I do think that there is a market out there for, for transatlantic flights. I, I guess just not right at the moment. Yeah, not right at the moment, Matt. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully things will pick up um, yeah what with this vaccine and everything okay all right uh we'll, so nev we'll uh you've got a story that uh, I, I love this story but um yeah i, I can imagine you buying some of this uh, well, i i'm i was about to get the credit card out actually when i saw this <laughs> um because it was uh, posted up on Wednesday of last week. This is on the businesstraveler.com. And it says that British Airways has created a limited edition range of luggage with the Globetrotter brand, inspired by the airline's BOAC livery. The new BOAC Speedbird suitcases have been handmade in England and incorporate the iconic gold Speedbird insignia and a fragment from a retired British Airways 747 aircraft. Uh, the suitcases are made from high 
semi-gloss vulcanised fibreboard with a metallic sheen for a pearlescent white shimmer which is complemented by navy leather trim on the corners and handles. The hand-painted gold Speedbird insignia adorns the exterior whilst the 747 fragments uh, decorated the uh, interior. Well, the range is only limited to 150, so I may have left it a bit late. Um, <laughs> but also, this might be the other reason. Uh, and it says they were available to order from Wednesday uh, in Globetrotters flagship stores. Unfortunately, it says the prices start from £1,935. Uh, when I saw 1935, I thought, well, great, it's that was the time. Yes. <laughs> decimal point, clearly in the wrong place there. Uh, uh, I, I thought it was the time it was available, you know. You well, could that, order you could be right, <laughs> yes, not the price. No. Anyway, to launch uh, the range, two of the suitcases are being, were being auctioned via online uh, platforms, uh, bidding to raise funds for Flying Start, British Airways Global Charity Partnership with Comic Relief. Uh, bids were starting at £2,000 per item. And bids will close next Tuesday, the 19th. So I can imagine there's going to be some serious money changing hands there. But uh, the two suitcases being auctioned were on board uh, British Airways' final 747 flight on December the 11th, which saw the airline's heritage liveried BOAC jumbo jet fly the short distance from uh, British Airways engineering base at Cardiff Airport to its new permanent home in St Athen in South Wales. They've also been signed by the flight's captain, Richard Allen Williams, who's also BA's uh, chief training pilot. Uh, Hamish McVeigh, British Airways Head of Brands and Marketing, said, we are thrilled to be working with Globetrotter to create this very special product and through this unique auction, raise money for the vital comic relief projects across the UK and overseas. Well. I must say, I was very envious because I, I quite fancied one of those, even though I can't go anywhere at the moment. But um, or maybe put some cables in next time we do a, um, you know, OB or something like that. But, I mean, um, it's a lovely bit of kit, isn't it? Very nice. <laughs> they, they do look, they do look really nice. I must admit, they do look. Really, but but I, I have to say, Nev, if if I was transporting my um, cameras and lenses about, I think I'd still stick with one of your Pele cases. Uh, yes, that does take a bit of beating, I must say. But if you want the, you know, the, the pose of value, then uh, I think the that BA case takes a bit of beating. Mm. Yeah. I'd make you a deal. I'll send you a couple of my Pelican cases, Nev. If you if you buy some of these suitcases, and then I'll send you some Pel some used military Pelican cases. <laughs> <you> that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of a trade is that? Honestly. <laughs> I'll have some pelican cases. Send them my way. Yes, anyway, okay. Moving on. We'll stick with the Armando. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't go uh, uh, the whole show without mentioning the C word. So Armando, this uh, story's yours. All right, charge your glasses. It's mentioned about 17 times in the next uh, one Oh wow, minute, okay. So. I don't have a drink. Shall I get one? <laughs> from the Yeah, I think you should. Okay, uh, right. Yeah. From the National Business a uh, Aircraft. I feel I should get wine for this. I, I guess yeah. Yeah, well, I'm... you can have seven sips of wine in the next <laughs> minute. Uh, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, has published a new order requiring pre-departure COVID-19 testing for all passengers arriving to the U.S. from international locations. Starting on January 26th, passengers must be tested no more than three days prior to their departure and must provide proof of negative results and documentation having, or, or documentation of having recovered from COVID-19 to the aircraft operator. According to the CDC, it's an important. It's important to note this order applies to all aircraft operators, including 
non-commercial aircraft operators. Uh, the CDC does, defines an aircraft operator as any individual or organization causing or authorizing the operation of an aircraft. Uh, this includes business and general aviation operators uh, and must confirm the following for all passengers. The documentation of a negative qualifying test result, that's for passengers aged two or older, uh, personal identifiers on the negative test result must match the passenger's passport or other travel documents. If the passenger is arriving on a direct flight to the U.S., uh, that specimen must have been collected within the three calendar days preceding the flight's departure. Um, there are a few exemptions, and that's crew members, provided they follow standard protocols for the prevention of COVID-19 uh, in accordance with FAA guidance. Operators transporting passengers with COVID-19 that have a CDC authorization, uh, federal law enforcement, U.S. military, um, basically everybody else has to follow these rules. And I think we're, we're covering this. Now, this was widely covered in the news for all uh, commercial operators as in airlines. But uh, why it's in here this week is a lot of people were turning to business aviation to kind of uh, not escape the rules, but there were more relaxed rules or less uh, stringent uh, regulations and oversight for business aircraft, but that is no longer. So uh, operators like FlexJet, NetJet, um, any of those or private um, companies, they uh, have to follow these rules now. Wow. Actually, uh, Armando, uh, slightly off topic from what you were referring to there. Um, we, uh, a chap by the name of John Jester. Does that ring any bells with you? I know the name, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, um, I, so I've been in charge of the WhatsApp number uh, over the last sort of month or so, and I got an, a text from him actually that said, feel free to use them for the show. These were taken uh, at DL400 around uh, about uh, 500 nautical miles west of Hudson Bay in Canada, and... Uh, these rather stunning pictures uh, there are several but unfortunately i, I had to sort of pick the best one really because the way it is so somebody's had a had a little bit of a look at the old northern lights oh the aurora borealis uh, bless you uh, thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know a couple times on the show we've we've asked uh, both passengers and air crew members what what has been your favorite memory or what's something that stands out in your aviation career and i think a few of us have said seeing the northern lights from the air is 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 just amazing and yeah. john is uh flying a the queen of the skies he's on the 747 and he flies for a large cargo operator and they uh, have another friend that works for fedex on the uh, uh i forget what he's what aircraft he's on maybe a triple seven or something like that mm. but um or seven six he's on a seven six and uh those guys are always putting up pictures on their yeah, social media that it's just oh my gosh it's just so amazing and they're crossing over the north pole like that going across the world and um yeah so yeah. cool well, very well, cool well, thanks well, john uh yeah, yeah thanks yeah absolutely I, I must admit i did share those pictures with um with my uh, regulars to the show will perhaps remember dan holly who's a, a meteorologist and works for our local tv company doing the weather and uh, so, i actually sent those pictures to him and, and he was like i am proper jealous i was actually worried for a second because john has known me since i was 14 years old so when you said you had received pictures from oh. john jester 
Okay, quite, but leave that with in, me. <laughs> almost immediately, I wanted to shut down my feed. Right, and... okay, go home. Yes, okay, no, fair enough. Anyway, sorry, as a slight, a slight movie, yes, slightly off topic there, but I thought worth sharing with everyone. Lovely pictures. Yeah, that's great. Uh, okay, anybody else see, seen the, um, the whatever it was Carlos called it a minute ago? The Aurora Borealis. Yeah, again, bless you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Nev, have you had the pleasure? Not from the air, no, but I, I, when I was went uh, to the very north of Sweden many years ago, of course, in the summer, it, it doesn't get uh, dark at all. But in the winter, it barely gets light. And it's when it's on a very clear sky, uh, you can certainly see something uh, along the lines of this. But yeah, uh, yeah if you're actually uh, flying when you see it, it's absolutely spectacular. Uh, yeah. any, anything like this for you, James? Have you been so lucky? Oh, I've not been that lucky. Oh, I wish I had. Yeah, I know. I bet it's one of those things, isn't it, that must be just like the most amazing thing to see in the world. Uh, anyway, okay, who's next? Sorry, I got slightly off topic there. <laughs> Carlos is next. So apparently. this, thank you, Matt, this next story, and we all love a boom, 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 but this story is not about the Bender Boys. <laughs> Uh, this comes to us from. Are you feeling UK, all right, Carlos? Do you need to lie down? Is that what it is? <laughs> Just like, comes to us yeah. from. I, I feel like we need to explain who the Venga Boys are now to our audience. <laughs> Thanks for that. They'll be googling it now. <laughs> right. I hope not for their own browser history's sake. Anyway, anyway, uh, <laughs> simple flying UK aviation news and Twitter as well. And uh, this was in the UK actually. Uh, the headline was Sonic Booms Heard Over the UK as part of, uh, or the Royal Air Force Typhoon Intercept uh, Unresponsive Private Jet. So members of the public in Essex, Hertfordshire, Cambridgeshire and London reported hearing a sonic boom as a Royal Air Force Typhoon aircraft raced to intercept a private jet over London. The private jet in question was on Bombardier. I have no words. Thank you. Global Express <laughs> registration, the Delta Alpha Foxtrot Alpha Lima, owned by FAI Aviation, Rentajet. The plane was en route to Birmingham uh, from Nuremberg in Germany when its radio went silent about an hour into its flight, prompting the RAF to issue a quick reaction alert, or QRA, as most of us know. Two Typhoon, uh, Eurofighter Typhoon aircraft launched from RAF Coningsby uh, earlier in the day and the UK's QRA defence system in order to intercept the jet in question. The jet was escorted to London Stansted uh, Airport where it landed safely. The Bombardier remained on, grounded at Stansted Airport for a couple of hours before Essex Police decided all was found to be in order. Uh, the jet took off uh, just after 3 p.m. and flew to Birmingham, landing half an hour late. After an hour at Birmingham Airport, the plane departed again for its final destination of Barbados. Mm, very nice. Uh, Royal Air Force Typhoon jets are understood to have flown up to Mach 1.6, 1.6 the speed times the speed of sound, in order to intercept the flight, although they are capable of flying at twice the speed of sound, or Mach 2.0 and above. The QRA scenario is the only time the aircraft are allowed to fly supersonic over land. After the incident, the Royal Air Force released a video uh, with uh, particular focus on those in homeschooling now, explaining how sonic booms occur. Now, I remember when this broke, the story broke on social media, someone on Twitter had posted a video from one of those um, doorbell cams, <laughs> ring cam, I think this is something that's called. Yeah, yeah. And um, the, actually, the video and the, the video didn't really matter. You can't, can't see the jet anyway. But the audio was actually quite good. 
and uh, it was blooming loud i will say it uh, was fairly loud but um yeah yeah, so we, we actually have the video that uh, Carlos mentioned there in the story. So for anyone homeschooling, this may be of some use to you. Yeah, okay. Okay, so for the benefit of our audio listeners, we're actually going to just describe the video to you. So basically, this homeschooling video that the RAF have released is talking all about the sonic boom. So uh, first of all, what is a sonic boom? And... Uh, uh, so a, a subsonic speed below 767 miles per hour. Pressure waves move away from the aircraft in all directions. The speed of sound, 767 miles per hour. The waves compress to create a shock wave. The waves merge into a single shock wave cone. And then uh, the cone creates a thunderous sonic boom along the width of the cone's base. There we go. It's uh, it, it is annoying. I, it's, I, we hear it very occasionally. I think I've heard one once here um, with uh, probably I, I blame Armando um, for for that. Uh, there know. are no aircraft at RAF Mildenhall where I was stationed that come even close to going supersonic. So <laughs> okay. you can blame you can blame those guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that cub you flew, Armando, had a tendency to to push the envelope. <laughs> I don't know about that, but just like we did at Milden Hall, you can blame those those cool fighter guys over at RAF Lakenheath. <laughs> and Connington. And, and, and Connington. Yeah. Right, good. Oh, oh Marum, not Huntington, Marum. Okay, anyway, moving on. So uh, moving, <laughs> moving from booms, sonic booms, we're going to go over to something else that uh, <laughs> is fairly quick with this next story, Armando. Yep, just like we're talking about, it's... Uh, it's America, so we're going to take something that's currently illegal and just say, you know what, we got plenty of space, we're going to make it legal. Supersonic <laughs> aircraft just got a big old boost from the Federal Aviation Administration. A new ruling will allow limited testing of Mach 1 plus aircraft over land. Until now, supersonic aviation technology leaders like Ariane, Boom, and Spike were limited to testing over water. So the FAA still prohibits unlimited supersonic flight over U.S. soil, but it does open a path for exemptions for testing experimental aircraft. So the FAA is also hoping to prompt aviation authorities in other countries to move in a similar direction, although you guys seem to be ahead of us in the, in the UK allowing this, uh, so that transcontinental supersonic, supersonic flight could become a reality in the next eight years, very specific. Uh, Tom Weiss, the chairman of Ariane, called the ruling a significant milestone for supersonic flight. Uh, in their case, the, their AS-2 will be the first supersonic aircraft to enter commercial service in 51 years, right? That's since Concorde. And this gives our company the ability to test it overland in addition to the overwater te over testing currently planned. Uh, Boom, uh, the other aircraft manufacturer which we've featured on the show, uh, their aircraft, the Overture, um, is expected to begin testing in 2026, but this ruling opens the way for testing of its smaller aircraft later this year. Boom went on to say that it was pleased with the ruling. It has developed the working uh, Baby Boom XB-1 aircraft to test. Uh, this next generation of supersonic aircraft makers have placed uh, fuel sustainability, noise reduction, and this infamous sonic boom that we're talking about at the heart of their R&D programs. Ariane uses what it calls caustic layers of temperature inversion to fly over Mach 1 to reflect the sonic boom upwards into the atmosphere so it never actually reaches the ground. It also plans to use a renewable biofuel to limit its emissions. So these new regulations, which specifically allow for noise testing, make it possible to monitor how well boomless 
cruise technology works over land. Uh, aircraft manufacturers will need to apply for permission before each test. Uh, now I've got an interesting question here actually. What, what um, James, I don't know if this is something, is, is uh, like a sonic boom something you can create like in a simulation type thing with, with uh, flying uh, the, your home sims and stuff? Can you pretend you're essentially doing that? Um, yeah, I think you can. Um, if you get like the, um, was it the F-18 or something? Um, you can actually hear it go into the sonic boom if you go fast enough, yes. Oh, wow. I suppose, I suppose that would depend on how good your headphones are. So what sort of, have you tried it in like a 737, Carlos? No, I've, I've tried to overspeed on the, on the sim on X-Plane 11, <laughs> and you just get that clack, 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 clack noise on the sim, and it overspeeds, and then if you've got the um, sim set up properly, it'll say air, uh, aircraft overstressed, and the, the sim will finish. Right. Oh. oh dear. Well, you know what's interesting, Matt, is if you're in the airplane, you don't actually hear the sonic boom. Because you're you're ahead of all those waves. Oh, yeah. I see. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah, that, so true. That makes you sense. only hear it if you're outside the airplane or on the ground. Oh, honestly, you can always rely on the on the yes, yeah, the military guy taking all the fun out of the story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know how a pilot went Mach one. You can see the smile on his face. <laughs> yes. True. Uh, that is very true. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right okay yeah next story then who's up next i don't know yep so moving on with the next story nev uh you've got some you've got some nice this is a good story a nice news story we're trying to mix you know the good and bad stories yin and yang yeah exactly this is from the cityam.com website it says that uh, easyjet crew members will join virgin atlantic staff in working with the nhs on the uk's vaccine rollout the airline said today uh, the announcement came after virgin said that it had called on cabin crew pilots and office-based staff to assist with the national effort to save lives crew who apply will be fast-tracked to become trained vaccinators at nhs vaccination centers across the country some 3,000 easyjet staff are currently on furlough and the carrier said that they had the ideal skills to help with the rollout efforts. It expects hundreds of its staff to volunteer for the programme. Uh, the airlines will work with the NHS and St John's Ambulance Service at max, uh, mass vaccination centres around the country on a voluntary basis. A spokesman for Virgin confirmed yesterday to City AM that the plea had been sent to 6,000 Virgin Atlantic staff and that the company had so far received huge interest from furloughed employees. It comes as the government last night set a UK roadmap to vaccinate 2 million people a week by the end of January as part of its COVID-19 vaccines delivery plan. Uh, Matt Hancock, the UK's Secretary of State for Health, said that the government would turn to volunteers from all parts of the NHS, retired clinicians, pharmacists, airline cabin crew, the armed service, St John's Ambulance and the uh, Royal Voluntary Service to vaccinate the country. Vaccines are important and I care about them because I want our country to get back to normal as fast as possible, the Health Secretary told a Downing Street press conference. I wanted to have a great British summer. My team and I are working fast to deliver this as soon as possible. Well, that's great, isn't it? And also, of course, airline crew, both um, a cockpit crew, flight deck crew and in the cabin already have uh, some fundamental first aid skills as well as part of their training. So uh, they are and they're used to working in sort of life safety and critical environments. So they're very well um, uh, 
tuned to do this sort of thing, I would have thought. So, uh, yeah, looks... Uh, yes, looks although the, uh, the only thing I would say against that now, my, uh, my cousin is a very experienced nurse um, and she works for Macmillan, actually, as one of their key support, you know, workers. And so she's volunteered um, to actually... Uh, do exactly that so she volunteered to actually be part of the program for doing the vaccinations and all that kind of thing and now she has a nursing background and she reckons that the 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 routines involved in actually giving this vaccination are like you are being trained to be a nurse and you know she she was saying actually she was a bit worried that this particular program might be putting um keen volunteers off because i i mean i know you need to have an understanding of of the risks and everything all involved but i i, I do worry that 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 it's being sort of made too hard and you know you've got all as you say you've got um easyjet um uh joining virgin crews to sort of give out this vaccine um you know I'm i think just... there, there was a lot of red tape actually mm. um all sorts of i think there was 21 exams or videos that you had to yeah. watch I think a lot of that has gone away. I think it was ridiculous to have it in the first place, to be yeah, honest with you. Absolutely. People yeah, you, that are used to working with the general public, especially in very responsible roles yeah. like that, uh, I would have thought um, they could be trained fairly mm. quickly to administer. Agreed, absolutely. That was, that was very much the comments that, that, that my cousin made, really. You I, know. Think, I think we need this, guys, don't we? especially in the UK. Well, I'll need it all around the world, but in the UK, we need, with the numbers that they've got that they want to have... Um, mm receive the vaccine we need kind of some extra i must admit hands I, on deck I, I did do i did do something i haven't done for a while actually uh nev you'll be proud of me because uh, i sat down and watched the briefing uh today uh, and I, oh, I must admit funny. i was very satisfied uh, not only was lip, lip syncs all all a-okay this time around you'll be amazed <laughs> to know uh, but actually i must admit you know you know they're doing really well with the with you know it's over three over three million vaccinations have already taken place already I, you know i i'm sort of really excited that we might actually be doing something really well in this country I'm, I'm sort of kind of excited uh for that really but uh, also there uh hugh pym did also forget to unmute his microphone that was also quite hilarious and I but the color correction on one of the cameras was a bit off a little bit over yes um in in the grand scheme of things <laughs> it's not a show no indeed absolutely anyway we better move on before uh, uh before we get told off carlos you're next yeah, so this next story, this really did make me chuckle when I found this on the news feeds this week. And uh, this is in the UK. This comes to us from the GloucestershireLive.co.uk website. Uh, this is brilliant. So the headline, door of a small aircraft found on the M4 motorway by police. So parts of a plane are not common cause of roadblocks on the UK motorways but nevertheless police had to intervene when a door from an aircraft was found on the M4. Police had to remove the door of a small aircraft from blocking the lane of a motorway near Swindon uh, on Saturday the January the 9th. Uh, showing pictures of the large door on Twitter Wiltshire police said unusual debris what appears to be a door from a light aircraft removed from a lane on the M4 near Swindon on Saturday, January the 9th. If the owner would like to come forward to collect it, please do get in touch. Hashtag insecure load. And uh, the tweet left many wondering where exactly the rest of the aircraft had gone. Uh, for now, the lane was made clear and the unexpected debris 
uh, was put uh, was taken away by the police. But uh, they say do get in touch uh, if you spot the wing or anything else anywhere off the aircraft. Now, I think I think to be fair, we were saying in our, in the group chat, weren't we, during the week? I mean, I assume this has fallen off a lorry because if nothing else, if it had fallen off an aircraft in the air, uh, it certainly wouldn't be in that state, would it? I mean, it would be quite a bit more buckled and bent. I- I don't know. I was talking about this to one of the guys who I used to fly with at Beckles. And the doors on the 150s, you can take those off. Amanda will know this as well. But you can actually take the doors. There's a couple of pins and you can actually remove the doors. And the doors. And actually, aircraft doors on cestas and pipes and stuff, they're not hugely heavy. They're not really heavy pieces of... No, no, I know. But if that... What's the average height that you'd be flying? Say it was a, you were in your Cessna. What what would the average height be of that aircraft if you were just going I mean, if you're, if you're milling around, I mean, you, you'd probably be um, somewhere in a region of, I don't know, kind of about two, 3,000 feet, I suppose. Right, okay. If were... Now, so if this fell from 3,000 feet... It would hurt. Yeah, well, also, uh, do you think it would still be in that shape with the unharmed well, actually, per- perspex and things like that? If you look at the bottom left-hand side of the picture where... The, yes, the it's had a small bump where it fell off a lorry. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, what, what, do, what, what do you think? How, how often in the US do you have um, pieces of like, aircraft on your motorways? He's not available at the moment. He's just popped... Oh, he's on a phone call. Okay, fair enough. He's on a... <laughs> But no, I'm I'm with Matt. I'm afraid this fell off a lorry. No two ways yeah. about it. What off the back of a lorry now? Oh, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the chat room has said. Uh, no, anything from the chat room on there? On no, no one's lost because we do actually. Don't forget, guys. We do have quite a few um, members of our community who are in the chat room each week who do fly light aircraft. So uh, perhaps they might. <laughs> I, actually, Nev, it's too I'm undamaged. At the picture, that's that's looking at the, the picture. I I would have said that's a piper. A door for Piper. Uh, it could be, doesn't it? Yes, the the paint mm. job looks like it. It could be, and the, and the shape of it, possibly. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Yes, I think if that had uh, fallen from two two and a half thousand feet, that might be in a a different. Uh, we set. need Steve and Ivy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Adams has said in the chat room, it's not his. So that's good news. Uh, uh, Graham that's Haley confirmed. Yeah. Uh, Graham Haley in the chat room says PA thirty eight Tomahawk seemed to be the general Twitter consensus. Mm, yeah. Oh, right. Gosh, so I do love it when they do a lot more research than we do. It's brilliant. So uh, if you are <laughs> listening to the show and you have lost uh, a door of your aircraft, uh, do get in touch with right. the local constabulary. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so we are going to. I've, I've just realised I've. Chosen the wrong camera. One moment, caller. There we are. That's uh, that. That works really well on an audio podcast, doesn't it? So now it's time for a very popular segment of the show. It's time to welcome back the plain truth. And this week, myself and Captain Al were talking all about loading and balancing. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another Plain Truce and this week we're going to be talking about load and balancing. Joining me as always is your friend, it's my friend, it's everyone's friend, it is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi Captain Al. Hello there, how are you doing? Uh, Yes, I'm very good, thank you, very good. So uh, I I suspect literally this is probably quite a loaded question. 
<laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, well, you know. You've been spent ages on that one, haven't you? <laughs> we'll gloss over that and move on. Uh, yeah, so my question today is very, very simple, probably to you anyway. But uh, obviously we've been hearing stories of late um, in these, shall, shall we say, very strange times where airliners, which were perhaps just ferrying mostly people around, uh, are, are doing chores where they're, they're, they're carrying freight. Now, my, I mean, I, I knew that freight was always being carried by passenger airliners and stuff. So, I mean, what really are the processes in deciding how you load the aircraft? And does that have an impact about where passengers can sit, for example? So are there areas that are blocked off because of the load that's underneath that you as a passenger are completely unaware of? Okay, so let's go back a, a, a few steps and consider the fact that an aeroplane has limits as to how much weight it can carry and where that weight is situated. So quite clearly, if you put all the weight in the back of the aeroplane, you run the risk of it tipping onto its tail. If you put all the weight on the front of the aeroplane, you run the risk of it not being able to get airborne on takeoff. It, you know, it, it's just a, a simple equation, really. An aeroplane's very much like a, a seesaw, a kid's seesaw. So you need to manage where the center of gravity is quite carefully. So when they design the aeroplane, they create what's called an envelope. So uh, it's uh, uh, basically a, a geometrical shape and it determines as a function of one side of the graph, the weight, and on the other axis of the graph, where the center of gravity is allowed to exist. So like I say, you can't put a load of heavy people in the tail and expect the aeroplane to not tip on its tail. It, you know, it's balanced on wheels on the ground and it's aerodynamically balanced uh, in flight. So we have those limits. Quite clearly there are weight limits and there are balance limits. So when we load an aeroplane, we have to keep the load, whether it be passengers or freight or bags or anything else that we're putting on the aeroplane within that envelope. We normally do that by electronic means. Now, typically, an aeroplane that's being used for passenger transport, so like a 320 or a 737, has the ability to be full of passengers and be within its loading limitations. Clearly, it's not a lot of point having an aeroplane if you say, fill all the seats, but you can't then take off because it's out of balance. So they create uh, an aeroplane that has operational functionality. But you can encounter unusual circumstances that falls outside of what the designers thought would be the normal role. So one example of that would be, say for example, the carriage of PPE, which I'll come to in just a sec. Mm. But there are occasions, for example, where say on an A321, which is by nature quite a tail-heavy aeroplane. So naturally, when it's kind of empty, there's a fair amount of weight in the tail. It's quite a long aeroplane. So just like a seesaw, um, if you put weight down the tail, like the APU, then the longer the, the lever is, the more of a moment it has. So when we are loading and unloading the A321, we have to be careful that we don't end up with too much weight, i.e. passengers, bags or cargo in the tail and not enough at the front. And it will quite happily sit on its tail if you don't manage that carefully. 
So equally, when you're attempting to fly the aeroplane, there are scenarios where you have to give some consideration. So if, for example, you fill an A321 up with people, so about 220 people, but for whatever reason, none of those people have any suitcases. So say, for example, they're just on a day trip, so they're not taking any luggage with them. You cannot then fill the aeroplane up with fuel unless you put ballast in. So in other words, lots of big bags of sand or water to balance it out. Now, not many airports have several tons of ballast just lying around. So it's not uncommon to use bottled water as ballast because of course you can then take it off and reuse it. You can argue about the merits of having lots of water sloshing around uh, the aircraft, but ultimately if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. So there are some careful loading uh, issues to be resolved. Now, when we've started to use passenger aircraft for the carriage of PPE, there are some issues. First of all, PPE is relatively light, but it's quite bulky. But if you put lots and lots of boxes of relatively light stuff in, it still does have weight and therefore has to be carefully loaded and importantly, secured. So initially when we started seeing passenger aircraft uh, being used to carry PPE. We saw lots of boxes kind of being secured into seats with seat belts and so forth. And the regulators and the manufacturers looked around, oh, no, 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 we're not happy about that. Uh, because if you've ever tried to secure a box in your car with a seat belt, it's just not designed to do that. It's designed to fit around a human being, not something that's square. And we tend to be a bit more round. So then you started to see aircraft uh, with PPE in boxes in seats, but then big cargo nets put over the top of it. And then more latterly, people have taken the seats out of aircraft and then been able to use more conventional sort of securing methods. But nonetheless, it is still a, a very delicate balancing act, no pun intended, to get the weight and balance within the correct envelope. Not least, because you have to operate it safely, but depending on where you've got the weight and balance of the aircraft has quite a considerable impact on the fuel burn. So if you have all the weight down one end, for example, the front, that's not very efficient because you've got to pull the nose up to fly. So on some of the bigger aircraft, so like a 330, there is a fuel tank in the tail and the aircraft will move fuel fore and aft to uh, basically affect the balance of the aeroplane in flight. And we always used to joke with some of the more uh, heavyweight cabin crew that uh, when we used to have our lunch served to us and the heavyweight cabin crew would come to the front, we would then have to pump fuel down the back to counteract their weight suddenly <laughs> moving forward. They used to joke that it was simply the weight of our food that they were having to right. bring to satisfy yes. our appetites. Okay. And so but nonetheless, the continues. Yes. Yeah. Now, now, to be honest, the problems don't really vary from wide body to narrow body. It's just a simple fact that the bigger the aircraft, if you like, the more 
opportunity there are to fit things in and for not to have an effect. It's, it's just a scale of proportion. So in a small aeroplane, sort of like a PA-28, the weight of the person sat in row two is significant. But in an A380, the weight of the person sat in row two is less significant because there are a lot more rows. So wide body, narrow body, it's not really a case of how many uh, aisles there are. It's more a function of the size of the aeroplane. So, uh, and indeed, if you fly uh, on some of the small aircraft that are used as uh, public transport airliners, if you like. So say, for example, inter-island flights in Scotland or in the Channel Islands, you will actually physically as a passenger get on a weighing scales uh, oh, wow. so that they know your exact weight for weight and balance. On larger aircraft, we use something called standard weights, which are just average weights, because whether someone is 75 kilos or 80 kilos, that five kilos isn't a big deal on the grand scheme of things if you're carrying 230 tonnes of weight. Uh, but on a small aeroplane, yeah, it's a big, big deal. Well, is that helpful? Absolutely. And that is a brilliant place to bring a rather sort of, it's great. You've simplified a very complicated subject, which I'm grateful for. Captain Al, as always, many thanks. You're most welcome. If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit a320lounge.com. And a big thanks to uh, my dad, actually, for suggesting that uh, uh, so, well, the subject, I should say, for uh, this week's Plain Tales. So uh, I hope you... Not, not Plain not Tales. tales. <laughs> oh, wrong blimey. podcast. Plain Truths. <laughs> Sorry, wrong podcast. Still, uh, Nick will be grateful for the, the shout out, I'm sure. <laughs> no, he will bless Actually, him. we will be hearing from Nick later on, actually, because we've got another part of the uh, George Lee interview coming up uh, in a little while. Oh, good. Yeah, we don't even have to say anything. We can just tell Nick that we're starting to receive feedback for playing tales <laughs> with us. Yay. <laughs> yeah, so we, yeah. we, have actually, we, we yeah. have actually got some listener feedback from the Plain Truths. Uh, this is from episode 22, Language of Aviation, uh, What's Our Vector Victor? from Ben I. Uh, says Zulu is simply the letter assigned to GMT. Every time zone uh, by full hour around the world has a letter starting with A in Paris and moving, to, uh, uh, moving east to M, then resetting to the Azores with N and moving west to Y. Uh, he says, uh, but there are 24 hours and 26 letters, you exclaim. Well, you will notice that Y and M are actually the same time, but different offsets to account for the movement of the date line. So they are all the same time on different days. Then we also use uh, Z or Zulu for GMT, uh, UTC, and J is the local time zone in any specific location. If you said 0700 Bungie Juliet, or 
Bungie. Bravo, Juliet. <laughs> Someone's put who's put Bungie on there? Bungie Juliet. Bravo, Juliet. That's the same thing as saying seven a.m. Bravo, local time. Bungie, local time. Have, yeah. have we got? Have we got like one of those sort of anchorman moments where whatever it is that Nev types yeah. in the notes, Carlos is going to read out? Is, yeah. that, is, is that your doing, Carlos? <laughs> uh, no, that's not my. I never adjust the show I, notes. I blame Nev. Yeah, show. you never read the show notes. That's no. like... <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm taking a leaf out of your book, Mister. Anyway, carry on. Anyway, um, do you want to take the next one, Nev? Yeah, actually, on episode 21 on How to Fly an Airliner, also from Ben I, he says, uh, interestingly, Matt, uh, an ATC license works in a similar fashion in that we have the overall license to which we uh, attach ratings. Uh, these are the style of ATC tower uh, or uh, aerodrome control uh, in license in speak approach, uh, two variants, radar and non-radar. Uh, the latter isn't for if the radar fails, it's meant for locations that do not have a radar at all. And area, again, radar and non-radar. Area is everything that isn't approach or tower in simple terms. Uh, pilots call this position centre. Uh, on the end are endorsements, which are location and position specific, related to where you are currently working. So as an example, my licence has all five ratings uh, obtained throughout my career, which are perpetual. But currently I only have my radar approach control rating active, to which are attached endorsements on West Beach. Approach East, West Beach Approach West, West Beach Approach North and West Beach Radar, which is the position that looks after the parts that are outside of the controlled airspace. These are all segments of the West Beach Approach airspace, which can be open in combination or separately as suits the traffic situation. But obviously you can't work airspace you aren't qualified on, Ian Fitz combined with airspace you are. So like Al can't currently jump on a 737 despite having previously flown them, uh, I can't jump into a tower or centre position, even if it's West Beach, because I've not recently controlled that style or rating. Uh, that needs a refresher training course. So there you go. That was a, a very uh, sophisticated and um, exemplary answer to a simple question. I, I, I've got a headache now. I don't know about anyone. There's <laughs> just it's quite a list of uh, things. I mean, it's, it's, it's worth just saying as well, You know, if, if anyone does have any um, comments, that is always a good way of uh, getting back to us as well by leaving oh, yeah. a comment on the YouTube. Um, the, the yeah, video absolutely. Video. Or getting in touch with the show directly. Our yeah. email address is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And also it is... Is, uh, we do have a WhatsApp number as well, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six, and that comes straight through to the studio here, uh, and then we can put your pictures and messages up on screen uh, in the middle of the show. But also, don't forget uh, social media search as well as a, a search for us on social media, Plain Talking UK. Um, but uh, yeah, if you've got any ideas, we're, we're actually going to be sitting down and getting another recording session put together very soon with Captain Al. So, uh, uh, yeah, if you've got any ideas or topics that you'd like us to talk to Al about, then make sure you get in touch. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Big hello to everyone who has just joined us all over from uh, Airshow World. I think Stu's and, in there as well, actually, yeah, which is nice. Hi, Stu's Stu. in there, yeah. yeah. Big hello. Greetings to you all. Thanks for uh, for joining us this evening. Indeed. Uh, just and in time uh, for the best part of the show. It is, because it is time to hand over control of the show to our registered military authoritarian. Oh. And it is, of course, Armando. Yeah, guys, it's just past 8 p.m. in Europe. 
everybody should be getting ready to go out to the restaurants and the bars. So let's get, uh, let's get everybody jazzed up by talking about some military. <laughs> Matt, hit the button. <laughs> do a uh, start out with a two-parter story so this first part is from the drive.com you can now buy the royal air force's impressive sentinel radar planes but only in pieces so according to the drive they report that the x has finally fallen on the united kingdom's unloved sentinel r1 radar planes after the government announced plans to sell them any potential uh, potential customers should be aware however that the five aircraft which are based on the Bombardier Global Express. Bombardier! Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> are only being offered in the form of spare parts. That aircraft, or the aircraft, which are yet to be formally withdrawn, entered service in 2007, began flying operationally over Afghanistan the following year. In the past, the war zone has looked in detail at the UK's uh, Royal Air Force Sentinel, the capabilities of which suggest that it might have been possible to find a buyer interested in taking the aircraft as a complete system and putting them back into service. Instead, they'll be uh, dismantled and harvested as uh, reusable parts, I suppose. So the sale of the Sentinels together with a pair of uh, E3 Sentry uh, AWACS or Airborne Warning and Control Systems uh, was, uh, was recently announced on the UK government's website, which provided the following notice. The Defense Equipment Sales Authority or DESA, is inviting expressions of interest from companies interested in being considered for receiving an invitation to tender in respect of the proposed sale of the aircraft for stripping so to harvest all reusable parts for potential resale, recycling, or, disposable, or disposal and final dismantling and removal of the remaining platforms. I, I had no idea that they, that they could write that in anything other than English. I, <laughs> I mean, they look like English words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I think about Italian when I'm speaking Spanish. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, now, I've got so some, pictures, some pictures here. Are they uh, and some pictures? Yes, I've got some pictures. <laughs> very posh. Uh, so I've got some pictures here. Where, where, am I popping them up now, sir? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So okay. as you can see this, uh, I'll finish the story while these pictures are actually, I think they're, they're pretty aircraft, but uh, I, we've mentioned I mean, the Bombardier. I mean, they're very gray. I know, that's pretty. It's a pretty shade of gray. Um, how many shades of gray? Uh, or oh, at least 50. Yeah. yeah. So meanwhile, these two Sentry aircraft, they, com uh, they comprise airframes that were put into storage at their base at RAF Waddington in Lincolnshire last year uh, as part of the drawdown of the RAF's Airborne Early Warning and Control. Uh, fleet. The, uh, they are all being replaced by the E7 Wedgetail. I think we did a story on that. The first one had just gotten there last year at some point. Um, the Sentinel, which has been operated over Iraq, Libya, Mali, Syria, will be retired without a direct replacement. But in related news from Flight Global, Matt just popped a picture of, the UAE signs a $1 billion Globalize fleet expansion deal. They've exercised an option to acquire a further pair of globalized surveillance aircraft from Saab. They're actually Bombardier Global Expresses. Um, announcing the deal on the 4th of January, the Swedish company said that the business is valued at just over uh, $1 billion. A contract was signed on December 30th, 2020, 
with the work to be performed by 2025. Uh, Saab received uh, originally a two aircraft contract from the UAE in uh, November 2015, with the customer later ordering a third example. It's announced its intention to further increase the fleet to five aircraft during the Dubai Air Show in November of 2019. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just reminiscing about air shows. Yeah, um, in general, huh? yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, the CEO, Michael Johansson, said that they are proud that the United Arab Emirates continues to show great trust in Saab and our solutions. The Global Eye program is running according to plan, and we have an efficient cooperation with the customer. Uh, the UAE received its first Bombardier Global uh, 6000 based Global Eye in April 2020, with the second having followed on later in September. I can see that Ned is falling asleep, so I'm just going to wrap this up by saying... <laughs> Uh, I was just waiting for you to pronounce all those Swedish names. <laughs> oh, oh, I strategically, I strategically hopscotched right over all of them. <laughs> ah, that's a, this, uh, having this kind of fleet is important to any Air Force, and especially nowadays when uh, everything is, is based on technology. Some of these aircraft are actually airborne uh, networking uh, platforms where you can have essentially internet on the ground, um, being beamed down or uh, rebroadcast up to a satellite. They can serve as communications re repeaters as well as uh, providing all kinds of surveillance. Um, and uh, as G.I. Joe knows, uh, knowing is half the battle. So. <laughs> True that. True that. Uh, Carlos, you've got the next story. Yeah, this one comes to us um, from Flight Global. And uh, I know this is a military segment, but hey, Armando, this is based on a commercial aircraft. But anyway... Boeing delivers 14 <laughs> KC-46A tankers in 2020, uh, receives a contract for a dozen more. So Boeing delivered 14 KC-46A uh, in-flight refueling tankers in 2020 to the U.S. Air Force, uh, exactly half of what it delivered the year before. The company struggled in 2020 to deliver tankers on time uh, to its main customer due to design and manufacturing problems, as well as interruptions to production caused by the coronavirus pandemic drink away. Despite issues, the U.S. Air Force awarded Boeing a $1.7 billion contract for 12 additional KC-46A tankers, the company said on the 12th of January. The manufacturer has delivered 42 tankers to four different bases since January 2019. Boeing is now on contract for 79 KC-46A tankers. Uh, the company is also on contract for four tankers for Japan, uh, the first example of which is under construction at its Everett, Washington facility. Last October, the manufacturer took a $67 million loss on the KC-46A program, bringing total losses to about $5 billion. Uh, the aircraft has been plagued by manufacturing and design problems, especially a refueling, refueling boom camera that produces warped or washed out images. Oh, should have put a GoPro on there. Uh, that camera system is being redesigned uh, to the tune of $551 million. They could buy a lot of GoPros with that much money. Uh, all at Boeing's expense because the program is funded through fixed price contracts. Uh, nonetheless, uh, Boeing said in October that it believed the program was turning a corner. The tanker has been a drag on us, they said, uh, for like three or four years in every way you can think with respect to investors. 
but we are beginning to clear that hurdle with our customers and with respect to its performance in their fleet and then their need for that tanker, said David Colhern, Boeing chief executive, on a third quarter earnings call. So the whole relationship, I believe, he said, will begin to transition next year. And as opposed to begin a drag on our franchise, it's been, I believe, will become a strength in our franchise. So the KC-46 based on the Boeing 767 commercial airliner. Um, but they had, I think, was it this? I'm sure that it was this one, Amanda. They had the issues with uh, when they found, was this the one they had? They found pieces they had, of bits yeah, and bobs lying everywhere. Fod. Yeah, fod. Uh, yeah, it was just uh, just after the, the Boeing had shut down the max production line, mm. the KC-46 was found to have these manufacturing deficiencies and there were tools and left underneath the floorboards and there were screws. And that was uh, in addition to the camera system not working. So as the article was talking about, so this uh, was plagued with issues, but they still managed to deliver, uh, you know, 14 of them at least. Do you not year. think they, they, they could have just saved a lot of money, Armando, and uh, used GoPros? <laughs> yeah, probably. I'm sure there's some commercial solution or commercial off-the-shelf solution that probably could do the, the same thing. And, and some of these action cameras do have a, a night or IR capability. But yeah, there's a question in the, in the chat room. Uh, Captain Cruz says, or asked, considering that the U.S. Uh, Air Force still has hundreds of KC-135s that actually sounds like a small order, uh, probably pays off a year of max storage. Um, yeah, we did a story. I remember last year that the KC-135, it's a toss-up right now, whether it's going to be that or the B-52, which one is going to reach 100 years in service mm. first. And I think the, uh, the KC-135 is, is going to do it. If, it. if it makes it to 20, probably 2057, 2056, something like that, I think. Uh, yeah. We have we have a lot of those flying around here. Me and Matt are lucky where we live. We have a mm. lot of KC one three fives flying in and around our area here. Well, yeah, it was about ten ten years ago they started getting re-engined, and you know that that put yeah. a whole new life into them. So, so Nev, uh, you've got one all about uh, test pilots. Yes, uh, it's on the DCMilitary.com website, and it says test pilots learn how flight testing of all electric commuter aircraft is pushed to the boundaries. Well, the promise of all electric, all electric commuter aircraft is smooth, carefree travel to and from busy urban centers. But as the engineers who are designing such aircraft can attest, it takes a lot of work to make such flights appear effortless. Uh, back in November, students at the US Naval T Test Pilot School and others interested in the future of aviation technology had an opportunity to learn about some of those challenges from Gernot Lutz, uh, the lead flight test engineer at Lilium, a company in uh, Munich that is uh, building a five-seat electric regional air mobility aircraft called the Lilium Jet. Uh, the US Naval Test Pilot School hosted the presentation as part of its quarterly innovation speaker series, which uh, features military and civil aviation pioneers discussing cutting-edge technologies and exploring how innovation and risk are balanced in unique ways. Well, the Lilium jet is powered by 36 ducted electric motors mounted on four wings, which pivot to provide vertical thrust for takeoff and landing and horizontal thrust for forward flight. Uh, the aircraft does not have traditional control surfaces such as ailerons or rudders, relying instead on the engines to provide nearly instantaneous thrust in the desired direction. It's quiet as well. 
uh, Lilliam's uh, promotional uh, materials say that it will be as loud as a passing truck takeoff and inaudible from the ground when cruising above 1300 feet. Uh, the operational version of the Lilium jet will have a range of 186 miles and conveniently cruise at 186 miles per hour. Uh, the test allowed the Lilium engineers to assess hover flight characteristics including ground effect, forward speed, bank angles and cl climb and descent performances. Uh, Lute said that the two factors made the envelope expansion test difficult. Uh, the flight control mechanical characteristics and the latencies of the download links. Test pilots have a very important role to play in the development of uh, innovative air aircraft systems in the private sector, he said. Uh, a former Royal Australian Air Force Research and Development Engineer and a 2014 graduate of the Empire Test Flight uh, Pilot School. Uh, efficiency is pr a primary consideration when developing a flight test strategy, but it should never compromise a methodical approach. It's also important to understand risks and to clearly communicate them to the engineering team and to management, Lutz added. Ultimately, if you want to push the boundaries of technology, you have to take risks somewhere. He said we're very selective about where we take risks and careful to only take these risks in areas where we can afford it and fully understand it. He also encouraged his audience to seek out the strengths and knowledge from all members within their own teams. Uh, some, uh, some, colleges, sorry, some colleagues may have a completely different way of thinking about problems and identifying solutions which may benefit your test program. As uh, technologies and capabilities continue to advance, old assumptions may no longer be valid and flight test engineers need to be open to new ideas and new ways of doing things, he said. Uh, though safety should always remain a bedrock of any flight test program, no matter how innovative. Always challenge yourself to be open to new ideas and new ways of doing things, he said. So uh, this is going to be a, a new, a brand new piece of work for doing uh, test flying uh, for these new electric aircraft. It'll be very interesting to see uh, how this comes along. I mean, is it just yeah. me? It almost seems like, like with um, sort of since like the Faraday project came along, it's just every, you know, it's really the envelopes are really being pushed at the moment. Like everybody's giving it a go currently. Well, it is it is the wave of the future, and and. If you guys remember, uh, we had Sean Van Hatten on. Uh, I'm sure John is going to scream the episode name uh, number into my episode three two seven. The voices tell me. <laughs> so back in episode three two seven, we had Sean Van Hatten on, and he was talking about how much planning goes into uh, a test flying a brand new airframe, um, which he was doing with the Stratos jet. Um, and then additionally, yeah, with Neil from Fairder. Those guys are pushing the boundaries of, of the legalities of flight testing and certification and, uh, and challenging the traditional thought about multi-engine. What is, what is a multi-engine aircraft? Is it, is it considered multi-engine when it has multiple propellers but one uh, actual motor? Or is it because of the aerodynamics? Uh, and, and these companies that are out there innovating uh, new forms of transportation, air transportation, are really uh, making everybody think about about where where we're going to go in the future. Now, of course, they they thought about this whole thing when when the jet age came around, right? Uh, when we were flying, uh, what is it, the 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 clippers that uh, <laughs> Captain Nick grew up on, and that's a real the real story, you know. He 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 flew on those airplanes, and when you're talking about multi-engine seaplanes. And then the jet age suddenly comes around and uh, 
everything was was uh, contemporary thinking at the time was challenged. So I think uh, we're going to see a lot more of these stories. Good, good. I mean, it, it's got to be a good thing, isn't it? Anyway, we'll move on to the last story now. And uh, this is a, a sad story, um, but we'll, but we'll look at it as a, as a sort of a positive as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the RAF Spitfire, Spitfire woman, Eleanor Wadsworth, dies aged 103. This is from the Guardian.com. So a trailblazing pilot who was one of the last surviving um one of the last surviving women to have taken on the task of transporting uh, aircraft from the front lines of the Second World War has uh, died aged uh, 103. So Nottingham-born Eleanor Wandsworth, uh, who served as one of the RAF Spitfire women during the conflict, died in December in Bury St Edmunds, Suffolk. After a short illness, uh, she was one of about 165 women who flew without instruments, flying uh, instructions or radios. Uh, operating out of the White Waltham in in Berkshire, the Air Transport Auxiliary, the ATA program, trained female pilots to fly numerous types of aircraft and played a crucial part in ensuring the RAF was able to fight. Like many of the pilots, uh, Wadsworth uh, joined the ATA in 1943 after seeing an advertisement for female pilots. The thought of learning to fly for free was a great incentive. I put my name down and didn't think much about it, she said back in 2020. Uh, Like many of the pilots, her favourite machine was the Spitfire, which she flew more than 130 times and described uh, as a beautiful aircraft. Uh, that was great to handle. The author, Karen Borden, who interviewed Wadsworth for an upcoming book, told the BBC that like many of the women pilots, she was incredibly humble about her uh, contribution to the war effort. She joked about how flying straight and level was her mark and how marvellous it was to take to the air on her own. Uh, Borden said uh, the exploits of the female pilot have been given more attention recently after Giles Whittle's 2008 book Spitfire Women of World War Two put them in the spotlight. Diana um, Diana Walker, who died in 2008, aged 90, delivered 260 unarmed Spitfires from factories to RAF airfields between 1942 and 45. Joy Lofthouse joined the ATA with her sisters in 1943 and flew aircraft, including the Barracuda bombers, uh, Mustang fighters and Spitfires from factories to the front line. Uh, Mary Ellis, who died in 2018, flew 76 types of aircraft and managed 1,100 flying hours. Molly Rose flew 486 aircraft and survived a crash after experiencing total engine failure while flying a swordfish in Shropshire. About 165 female and 1,153 male pilots flew planes from factories to the front lines during the war. It was an incredibly dangerous thing to do with the pilot's only map strapped with elastic to their car. 15 women also died in action. Uh, When the ATA was wound up in November 1945, more than 309,000 aircraft had been transported to the front lines with pilots clocking up more than 400,000 hours of uh, flying time. Uh, That, for me, is an absolutely incredible story. And I mean, I thought I knew my history, but actually that's not something that I'd really thought about is how they were getting these aircraft to the front line you just sort of i guess the the naivety on my part is you assumed that this was being done um you know by the people who would who were taking them you know into mm. ac- into battle 
Yeah, I think most people assume, Matt, that they, these were flown by, you know, trained Royal Air Force yeah. pilots who picked them up from the production facility and then flew them off into... Uh, wherever, yeah, into, absolutely. Into wherever, but, yeah, these, these um, ladies played a, a very important part in, yeah. uh, in the war effort. So, I mean, sad, to obviously, to hear that somebody passed away, but, uh, you know, I think more... I think we should what celebrate. Life. What a Yeah, what an amazing life yeah. and uh, uh, what a wonderful story. I, that book sounds like something I need to get my hands on, actually. Uh, I think that yeah, needs and to I, be done. I yeah. think it was, uh, uh, John was saying, episode 343, there was a lecture about the ATA that I think Richard Adams pointed us towards. So, Oh, um, yes. Go back and listen to that. Absolutely. Okay. So. So next in the show, then. Yeah. We're going to uh, have a chat with our guest, James, this evening. He's been sitting there patiently waiting. He has. So uh, <laughs> thank you, James, for sticking with us. So uh, as we said at the beginning of the show, then uh, you'll know that uh, I did treat myself. Well, I didn't treat myself. I got treated to a new piece of kit for Christmas. And uh, for those of you who love simming, as uh, I do, and Armando does as well when he eventually unboxes all his sim equipment <laughs> uh, i'm sure we've got many people in the chat room and who listen to the show who do enjoy home simming as much as i do so welcome on to the show james okay. and uh james so obviously you've got uh, your um company here in the uk flight sim pm so yeah. tell us a, tell us a bit about what you supply what do you what do you sort of sell to uh, to us simmers um, well, basically, I, I started, uh, I managed to get a hold of a handle set from Italy. Um, and then I think, well, maybe I should uh, ask if he wanted a UK seller, which I did. And he said, yes, I would love a UK seller. And that's where Flight Sim PM UK started in 2013. Um, so it's literally, it's, it's been going well. Um, it could be better now um, when it could. You know, it's, 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 since COVID, it's died, basically. Um, and I thought, well, maybe a lot of people being locked in would buy more stuff, but they haven't. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of people thinking, no, I can't afford that money. Um, my job might be gone or something like that. So mm. I can quite understand. But I designed the box and everything that the SATEC quadrants sit in, so it turns them to a 45-degree angle. Um and I designed all that myself, um, but there was a guy in Hong Kong decided to um, get one of my boxes and start copying my handles and my boxes. Um, but he seems to have gone quiet a little bit now. Um, so hopefully uh, I will pick up once uh, this comes out of lockdown and everything. Yeah, I think, James, for, for most people who, who's home sim, I think the SATAC kind of... Uh, you know the quadrants and the throttle quadrants and the yoke and stuff is where most of us start you know they're relatively affordable but obviously you supply because obviously the the, the stock Saytech throttle quadrant comes with the you know the um, kind of Cessna style or the Piper style kind of um, buttons on the end or the uh, knobs on the end yeah the, the red stalks. black and blue ones yeah yeah, yeah. but you you supply um, something really good to go on the end to, to actually give it a bit more realistic. Realism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically, you um, take those knobs off, or they come with them not on there. But um, I supply all the instructions on how to actually um, put, put these handles on. Um, there's a small little grub screw in them as well to tighten them onto the lever, and it makes it more realistic because it actually the box turns it 45 degrees. I've then got a template you actually put on for the flap 
and speed brake settings. Um, and then you put the handles on top of that and it makes it look very realistic. But the only thing is the reversers are dummy ones because you can't plug anything into the Satec. Mm. Not like the one you got where everything works on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the other new one that's come out is the Honeycomb, as you know. Um, but uh, everything on that works. It's brilliant. But I'm looking at actually designing a pedestal for it. So, so James, just out of curiosity, I mean, I mean, how did this start for you? Is is it uh, something that you were a big fan of? Did you do did you do a lot of uh, simming yourself, and you you saw something that wasn't out there? I mean, I mean, how did the story start for you? Yeah, that, basically, I did a lot of simming at home. Um, I started with the uh, FS two thousand and four, I think it was, um, and then I just got. Uh, upgraded upgraded to FSX and then I started getting thinking well hang on a minute I got one of these Satec things and then I started thinking hang on it's trapped to the desk you can't like breaking your wrist to try and move from minimum to full throttle it's really awkward so I then decided to do this box it turns the throttles 45 degrees like in the real one so you could actually use the switches at the bottom as well. So then that's when I got into this business and really started really progressing and getting ideas what else I could design and make. And in the end, I've designed quite a bit for this stuff now. Wow, okay. Now, I know you were saying, obviously, earlier in the show, which we won't go into too much detail for, but obviously there has been a change here in the UK that has mm. made getting parts from Italy perhaps a little more challenging uh, than it was. As I say, we don't want to sort of go into too much yeah. detail there. But, uh, I mean, it's... Uh, so a lot of these parts are actually made in Italy and then shipped over here, and then you assemble uh, in, into controllers. Is that, is that how it works? No, all the handles are actually designed by me, made here by myself. Oh, wow. Um, the only ones that are built in Italy are the ones like Carlos got, which is everything works on it. Right. <laughs> um, he does Airbus, he does um, 737, he does 787. Um, he, he does a good chunk of stuff, uh, EFIS panels for the 73. Um, he does quite a bit of stuff. And oh, the 777 he does as well, the full throttle for the 777. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, is your is your market predominantly what I call the the home simmer, or, or or are there sort of other sort of you know commercial outlets that are interested in what you do? Um, I did actually sell two seven eight seven uh, full working throttle units to the British Airways first team for their simulation. Oh wow! They drive their mobile sim. Mm. Um, they paid uh, nearly eight hundred pound each for those. There's two of those, um, and they've got a to bought one and, and bought the second one as a backup in case when they're out in an air show one fails they can just swap it straight over um but that's going to be up at the hopefully cosford flight sim show uh in october this year wow okay well i mean uh lee davis is actually saying in the chat room that the flight sims have come a long way since he's back in the amiga. day when he used to play them on his amiga <laughs> uh which i think is 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 fair to say uh never have you got any questions I was just looking in the chat room actually as well. Um, just a quick question for James. Uh, James, do you actually only do civilian uh, flight sim equipment or do you do military as well? No, it's just commercial mm. at the moment. Yeah, excellent. Good for uh, you well, then, Nev. As Carlos was saying. 
he, he rightly points out that most of these military aircraft are based on commercial platforms. So uh, <laughs> you could just paint it a different color and call it a military. Yeah, make it gray, then nobody will notice. Yeah. <laughs> actually, actually I'll, I'll say James is saying about the, the 45 degree um, boxes he does. Um, there are a lot of people in the UK and probably the US as well who do use the SATEC throttle quadrant panel, uh, quadrant units. The, the, the 45 degree angle boxes that, that James does uh, sell through his website are good at making those SATEC um, controls at, at the right angle to to be more realistic, to actually sort of, you know, represent the real thing. And obviously with the handles as well that James has also got on his website, the actual handles that you can push onto the to the quadrant, they, um, they, they do add a hell of a lot to the realism of, um, of, to, of you know, of home simming. Um, yeah. I know we'll obviously have the links to, to James's website in the, in the show notes, but mm. um, yeah, I think yeah. for anyone who's anyone who's stuck at home over um, over lockdown, it's um, yeah, it, it's a good uh, good thing to. I was going to ask you, Carlos. You know those uh, those toga switches um, yes. for the seven three. Are they fully motorized? So they automatically um, you know set the, the thrust on their own, or do you still have to set them? Yeah. So well, they they. They obviously work. The toga buttons work on on the unit that I've got. Um, Matt's probably got a picture there. He can put up on the screen of the oh, unit. I that see. I've got. Oh, yeah. Sorry, but uh, I, I, I yeah, the, now, the, yeah, the toga switches do work. If you push them, that the throttles will obviously the the throttles and the similar. Is it? Is this to, the thing you're talking about? Power. Is it, or is that something else? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah, and they, they will advance to to take full takeoff power once you push that button in, and obviously to disengage, you just press the um, auto throttle disengage on the side of the uh, the throttle tops mm, there. Brilliant. But, um, yeah, it's it's an amazing bit of kit, James. That the, the one that uh, the one that I've got, honestly, it is it's uh, it does change the whole kind of uh, way you look at you know sim home simming, I should say. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I think if you've got a few quid lying around spare. Well, especially uh, in lockdown. I mean, this is this yeah. is the perfect opportunity to pretend there's no pandemic on and literally sort of start flying the world, isn't it? I mean, this this is one of those things. I'm going to ask a question here, James. Now, I know, I know that um, John, our producer, has been doing a lot of playing with the Microsoft uh, flight simulator yeah. yeah yeah and carlos now you're more of an x-plane aren't you you seem to prefer yes. that over the microsoft yes. one for whatever reason i've got to ask the question which one out of the two of those is your go-to for for flight simming x-plane at the moment i i mean is there any particular reason for that or um uh, there's a lot of problems with the the new one at the moment they're still doing updates there's still uh, a lot of problems with it and I'm not going to wait. I'm going to wait until they've sorted all the little bugs out. Um, but there's no 737 in the new one either. Um, and they've only got um, a 747-8 and a Dreamliner mm. and an A320. They're very limited on aircraft. There's no helicopters. Um, but I think there's one external person now designing military aircraft for it. Um, but when that's going to come out, we don't know. Um, but I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait about a year before it sorts it all self out. Wow. I mean, I, I suppose there does seem to be a bit of a running theme with uh, Microsoft and uh, various updates being required. But we'll we'll perhaps uh, gloss over that and move on. Actually, uh, have, you, have you got any new? Uh, is there any new um, bits and pieces you're working on, James? Is there any kind of uh, different? Because obviously you've got the you've got the seven eight seven parts on the, mm. on the website. You've got the seven three seven. 
uh, next gen stuff on there. Are you doing? Are you going to be branching into kind of Airbus? Um, uh, he is actually got the Airbus throttle uh, done. Um, mm. He's actually now just designing the flap lever and the speed brake lever for it. Um, but yeah, I will be doing once I've sorted out the, the the customs. I will be putting the Airbus on there as well. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to make sure, obviously, that all the links uh, to your website are, are there. I mean, it's it's. Um, yeah, I I, we, I I could just wish you all all the very very best of success with it because it's a it's such a fun project and uh, I mean Carlos, you're certainly loving what you've got. Mm. Yeah, I, I say it's, it's it's just a shame with all this this Brexit thing of obviously the import and export side of things has now become incredibly hard for um for us in the UK especially to to be able to to import or get things I, I mean I would say that that's just temporary for the moment I think yeah, you hopefully. know just while they sort out hopefully. all the sort yeah. of like bits you know there people will still want to sell stuff to the UK so I'm sure that'll all be sorted out in due course but um, yeah, the only thing James, is the only thing is Matt I wanted to get across is I'm trying to design this pedestal for this honeycomb mm. um, so actually instead of being strapped to your desk it's down by the side of you like the real one. Oh wow okay um, but they've sold 5,000 units so far. Oh, wow. Oh, that sounds good. James, oh. this, will, this will make you laugh. When when Carlos was coming over to my house in Barry St. Edmunds, I had uh, taken the Cytec throttle quadrants and then used a modeling clay. You know modeling clay that you can mold yep. and then put in the oven to bake? <laughs> yep. that's, how I, that's how I was basically doing <laughs> what you're trying to do in a much more professional uh, manner. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had made handles out of modeling clay to simulate. I think at the time it was a Pilatus or something yeah, like that. Yeah, if you go to my website, you'll have a look at see all the ones I do, all the different ones. Oh, seven, I'm on five, it. seven, <laughs> and seven, six, sevens, and all that. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm on the website right now. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the difference between this and the uh, and the British Airways luggage we talked about. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, can, oh, no. can you uh, can you ship to the US, uh, James? Is that all right? I ship everywhere, all worldwide. Yes. I've um, sold to New Zealand, Australia, the US, even Hawaii and everything. I mean, again, a similar problem here. Um, Armando needs to get permission from Megan in order to sort of, you know, find somewhere to put the, the simulator, never alone, let alone sort of add kit to it, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, never mind. So, moving <laughs> yeah. on uh, then, thanks, uh, James, for that. Yep. Actually, uh, James, just... Oh, we have got a question from Richard Adams, yeah. Uh... Yes, it was saying, uh, just saying, uh, yeah, so uh, Richard Adams is saying, I wonder if it would be feasible to get a real quadrant from the reclaimers, etc., and get it working for a sim. Wow. Uh, I, know it can be, I know it can be done, but maybe not as sensible uh, at an, and or at an economic rate. Have you, I mean, have you done any, anything like that before where you've actually got, you know, the genuine article and converted it? Um, no, no, it's way too expensive. You're looking at about probably near £4,000 for one yeah. of those. Wow. Plus okay. you've got to do all the linkages are all differently. You've got to then put all new potometers in it and uh, a card, USB cards in it. and It's just nightmare, nightmarish. No, okay, not not worth the effort probably then. In, no. In it would no. look really good. Yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, great, great bit of kit. Well, you're getting a lot of fun out of it, aren't you, Carlos? Yeah, yeah. You've got, you've got. Honestly, if uh, mm. yeah, yeah. James, yeah. Favorite aircraft. So, given the chance to fly any any aircraft, be it commercial or military, any aircraft, you could just jump outside now, hop in, off. Whether it be retired, still flying, 
you know, in seven four seven. Yeah. Four hundred, yeah. Really? Yeah. Like Love those aircraft. What have I got behind me? What's this picture I've got behind me? The SP. Oh, right. That's a okay. special version. It's oh, a of course. Version. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. And I, I spoiled it immediately. Uh, oh, actually, um, uh, Nick Codling is uh, sort of asking the question, uh, how much would a beginner need to get, uh, to get themselves started? How much do they spend? Yeah. Oh, how much do um, they need to that spend? Would be, well, if you could get hold of the SATEC stuff, um, you're looking probably about £160 for the yoke uh, and your throttle um, and then a second throttle as well to give you like the six levers but then you, on top if you want to buy the 747 complete kit it's about 110 quid for the whole lot I mean, that gives not... you all the levers the box and the template and everything I mean if, if, if simmings were something you really want to get into actually that doesn't sound that bad does it really I think the most I mean we'll all agree I think and John will agree as well and Matt you know about this the most expensive part about home simming is buying the actual piece well yes to, to go to with run it, actually the sim fair, yeah, at full whack i mean not everybody goes to the alarming lengths you have done with your three with your three wrap round monitors obviously <laughs> i mean that's that's a little bit on the unusual side let's be honest i'm just trying to I just, find I just got, I, I hated having the bezel in front of me here with two monitors like right this. okay got that bezel yeah. so the third monitor what so so you thought that. so you thought you'd have three in three bezels in instead is that essentially what well, well no because the central monitor is is like your, your view your viewing the front thing, of the flight yeah. deck and then obviously the two side the two monitors actually i will give you credit where go. credit's due there you've got that yeah. nicely lined up it does sort of you know it look, does work. look pretty good yeah. actually I, w I will give yeah. you that and the great thing with x-plane as well you you can if the uh if the bezels are not um slightly adjusted correctly you can adjust in the x-plane the actual picture the bezels on the actual screen display uh, without adjusting the monitors themselves, which is quite good. Wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, it is sponsored by Explain because I'm also an Explain fan and Explain user, and that was as a as a I'm going to call it a career Microsoft flight simulator guy. But we do have a, a couple more questions in the chat room. Uh, James, is, is this all running through one USB cord? Yeah, yeah. One one USB card. Yeah. Um, right. Basically, you you plug all the uh, throttles into your USB. Um, you can plug your yoke into the USB, your, your pedals in, um, and it all just disconnects it into Windows game controllers, and then you just set it all up in whatever sim you're using. Okay. Yeah, I know I had that problem because I had a combination of uh, <laughs> multiple USB uh, uh, hubs, and then I even had one yoke that still had a, a serial connection. Wow. Yeah, the, the SATEC has actually got the serial connection on the side but i don't use it it's uh, low very low power um it's a lot more responsible if you pull a plug both of them into the usb yeah i agree with that oh wow actually gp model zone is actually saying in the chat room here that uh, hopefully going to get their pc sorted this weekend so i could do a review of Stu's one slash 32 tiger meat tornado there you go. <laughs> so that's actually a different conversation we were having in the chat is it right okay fair enough sorry i didn't know that <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Spot, spot the non-av geek here. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh dear, I can never lie down in a darkened room. It's been a good show for me. I've got to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Usually the chat room is talking about food, but this today we're yeah, actually talking actually about, talking about airplanes. airplanes. That's quite yeah. scary. Wow. Uh, okay. I, I was very lucky actually. I managed to contact um, Honeycomb because um, I was going to do their handles for them, 
um, but I found them too complicated. But they've sent me a complete yoke and a complete throttle to review for them. Oh, brilliant! Which is good because they are not cheap to buy. No. Trust no. Me. So you, so you are yourself an avid simmer. Yeah, yeah, definitely, one hundred percent, definitely explain at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what yeah, do you like flying when you're doing it? Yeah, um, I've been set up at the moment for um, EGSS, which is London Stansted to Italy, in uh, where my uh, colleague lives in Falcona. Oh wow. Um, and also fly to the States as well, to Orlando and Los Angeles. Wow, fantastic. That's really cool. Well, thank you very much for, for joining us, James. It's been an awful lot of fun. That's all right. And, um, yeah, we're going, to, uh, we're going to move on to the final part of the show uh, for this mm. week. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome back Captain Nick uh, chatting to George Lee. And this mm. week, the conversation moves into the world of the old Venom. true i think we all felt the same about it what was the nickname uh, we used to give that uh, hunter f6 yeah they called it the gt6 <laughs> yeah the course went well nick to come back to your your, your comments um but there was a rather unfortunate part in that course and it was completely self-imposed because i had been so successful at leaning my competitive spirit rose up with horns on it and I was I was going to sweep sweep the floor as it were uh, at Valley and bottom line I applied myself too hard absolutely I drove myself too hard and when you do that there comes a point where the body says well that's it enough is enough and to cut a long story short I had what was essentially a nervous breakdown totally unexpected came from left field Marin Blesser, of course, didn't know what on earth was happening. I was taken off flying, told to, you know, go back to our little place, which was in remote Anglesey, and recover. And uh, I, I forget how long it took, but I did. And back, in, back into it, picking up on, on, on the course. And I did. That's interesting. They just sent you home and said, recover. Um, and nowadays, of course, things would be treated very differently, but perhaps not back then. My memory is getting a little hazy, Nick. I, I have no doubt. I do recall seeing a doctor. I do, I do remember that bit. And indeed, he might have given me some medication to help me. I really cannot remember. But the flying, uh, initially, naturally coming back from such a setback was really, really tough. Very tough. Mm. But I managed to win the aerobatics prize. I managed overall to get the cup of honor at the end of the course, which was very pleasing, but a very, very salutary lesson, a hard one to learn. Absolutely, yes. And uh, in these days of um, our concern about uh, our mental state, um, a, a great lesson for you, because I've no doubt that sort of held you in good stead uh, in the future. Sure. Sure, absolutely. So uh, from RAF Valley and you're basically learning to become a pure pilot, we're now moving on to weaponeering and how to use uh, an aircraft as a, a, a weapon of war. Uh, what happened next? 
Well, yes, in the training sequence, that would have been the next thing that would have followed. But the problem was at the time, there was a, a very significant backlog of pilots. And this led to considerable personnel management problems because here, here we were, this bunch of pilots passed out from advanced flying training, feeling very sharp and ready, ready for the next stage. And suddenly the brakes come on totally and they, people get post, got posted to all sorts of interesting little positions, which were frankly not of much help towards, towards Chivener and the tactical weapons, you know, that's for sure. And I thought, what will I do? I know, gliding. I know, because that's been on the back burner naturally through all of BFTS and indeed all through Valley and Shrewsbury, Shawbury, all of that, I, I wasn't gliding. So I've got to get back into gliding. So I rang up the chief flying instructor at Bicester, who was a legendary character by the name of Andy Goff, a warrant, flight sergeant became warrant officer, very powerful man, strong man. And he said, leave it to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I knew it was a done deal when Andy said, leave it to me. I love he, it. I love that a flight sergeant managed to get you uh, a special posting for your holding tour. Uh, no problem to Andy. He had friends in very high <laughs> places who listened to listened to him, Brilliant. and he arranged it. And I, I went back to the RAF Gliding Centre where I started, and I was there for a year, running courses, doing a lot of tugging on the Chipmunk. During that year, I flew my first ever gliding competition, uh, which I managed to win, which was one, and that was another hook that then sunk in. So it was a wonderful year in many, in many, many ways, uh, but a very tiring year, very tiring. I was wiped out by the end of it, that's for sure. From there, went to do some refresher flying on the Jet Provost, uh, Manby, I believe that was at, and that was okay for what it was, but it really didn't prepare me, and it didn't prepare me for what was to come. The, the, you can almost use the word shock going from that flying training jet provost environment into the hunter, where although they were prepared to give you a little slack in view of the holding period, it wasn't going to be much. And I know that more than one very good pilot was lost through the system because they just couldn't cope with what they were faced with because the flying at Chivner was extremely challenging, extremely challenging, straight into the really heavy stuff. Um, cine tracking, air-to-air -air tracking, you know, forma formation flying, you, and of course the weaponeering itself. Um, I, again, I loved the Hunter, absolutely loved it. I had some good instructors, very hard, but good. And the weaponeering, I absolutely adored. I just loved, loved it, loved weaponeering. The Hunter, of course, had the 30 mil cannon and we, we had um, practice bombs for dive bombing. We did uh, retard bombing and um, yeah, rockets. So the weaponeering, weaponeering I adored and managed to, managed to get over that in, in, initial major obstacle. And then, okay, then the performance started coming again. So got through all of that quite well. And uh, from then on, it was a matter of being allocated as to where people were going to go. And I learned that I was going to be posted to 228 OCU at Coningsby for the Phantom. And I'm curious. 
Did you uh, actually have a desire to go and fly a particular airplane, or was that did that come as a very pleasant surprise? It came as a very pleasant surprise, Nick. But within me, I wanted to fly fighters. Yes, I wanted to fly fast jet, definitely. So to go on the Phantom, I, I, I was delighted. I really was over the moon. Excellent, excellent. So off up to Coningsby for the conversion to uh, fly the Phantom. What was that like? Hard. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> it was a it was a big wake up call from the hunter, I must say, because as you know, Nick, having flown the Phantom so much, it was an, it was not an aircraft that just flew on rails. You had to be with it on top of it all the time, and it was a very physically, of course, a much larger aircraft than the hunter. But it had uh, and w one had to get used to the two man crew concept. But it was a once you got the once I got the measure of it, I thought, what a magnificent machine! Magnificent, it really was. And the handling, although a long way short of perfect, once you got its measure, yeah, it 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 did a great job. And it was a rugged machine, of course, very great machine in terms of survivability, going to war, and that was very classically demonstrated in Vietnam, of course. And here we are, this aircraft, which. The very first flight was in 1958, and I gather it's still in service in a small number of air forces, Greece, Turkey, Japan, for example. Remarkable. The weapon systems were very, very basic, very crude, really. <laughs> so one relied very much on what we call seaman's eye. So, George, the role of the Phantom then was uh, quite a multi-role aircraft, a recce, uh, air to ground, as well as air defence. Uh, did you practice all those arts? If you want to improve your 737 knowledge, why not attend one of our live technical refresher courses? These two-day webinars are not just a Zoom call, nor are they just an instructor stood in front of a whiteboard. Our professional production team in their London studio uses the latest technology to bring you a fully interactive and engaging experience. Ask your instructor questions live at any time. For more information and to sign up, visit 737lounge.com. Great segment as always, and a big thanks to uh, Captain Nick for uh, putting that together. It's better. I, I should just say, actually, I made a slight mistake when I went into that. And in my defence, it's because I was actually thinking about the nightmare that is Pip uh, just before I went into that. It's not a Phenom at all. I meant the Phantom. I just, I don't know, for some reason, Pip just popped into my head there and the word Phenom from He was in mouth. the chat room earlier. He was in the chat room yeah. earlier. And it was yeah. nice to see him, to be honest. We haven't seen him for a while. So we'll have to get try and get him back on the show at some point. But, uh, yeah, I meant Phantom. You all knew I meant Phantom, didn't you? We Sorry did. about that. Yeah. Just like the Bombardier. Uh, anyway. Bombardier, yes. <laughs> Anyway, social media links. Don't forget, if you want to contact the show, you can do via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, search for Plain Talking UK. Don't forget as well our WhatsApp number, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Email the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And also don't forget to check out our website, allthews.plaintalkinguk.com. 
And also, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel? You'll get notifications when we go live, and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room. Go to www.youtube.com and search for Plain Talking UK. And don't forget as well, if you check out our website, you can shop through our Amazon link. It doesn't cost you anything, but we do get a small referral fee if you buy some random items like I have this week. <laughs> and also, you can look on our website and you can buy one of our lovely PTUK t-shirts, which I haven't got on, but you can buy yourself a PTUK t-shirt. We've sent one out to the US this week. Hopefully that will arrive with that person very soon. And uh, also don't forget as well, the links are on our website if you want to become a Patreon of the show uh, or donate to the show using PayPal. The links are on there. We would love it if you could. That would be brilliant because it all helps to push the show out each week in, and also indeed, helps indeed. to uh, pay for uh, the usual fees for doing the show, like the server hosts and all their website stuff, which we have just paid for actually this month indeed so, uh, uh, james how would uh, how do people get in touch with you to find out uh, more about your amazing products um they've got a website um which is uh, basically the same as my name uh, flightsimpm-uk.co.uk cool there we go any social media or anything like that or is it all on the website it's all on the website all on the website very good That's, uh, give, give that to us again it's flightsimpm-uk.co.uk and Matt will put all the relevant links in the show notes as well for you to click on and go and see James's site. So make sure you do check that out because if you are a home simmer, you'll love all the bits and bobs he's got on sale on the website. So quick run through. Matt, what are you doing next week? Uh, I'm uh, selling more wine. Next. Excellent. Armando, <laughs> what are you doing next week? Uh, actually, I'll be doing a lot of flying. I'll be flying uh, those ROTC cadets from Elon University and... Uh, North Carolina A&T, uh, flying skydivers on Sunday. And I think Thursday I'm flying with Steph in the skydive plane <gasps> to get her some uh, some currency in that short field. Very so cool. Lots of flying this week. Good, good. Very cool. And Nev, what are you doing? Uh, yes, I'm uh, working, of course, as always, but also we're involved with our uh, global sales meeting next week, which means it's going to be some very late nights. So sadly... I won't be able to join you on next week's show. Oh, a tragedy, I That's the way that you break it to us, uh. honestly. And John, what are you doing next week? Oh, no, we can't hear John. Can we? Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, no, we can. It's just the audio. <laughs> and, uh, what, so, what about you, James? Any interesting projects? Any interesting projects that you've got up your sleeve for next week? Um, not at the moment. I'm just uh, trying to build what I can and uh, get this uh, pedestal uh, uh, kind of designed and uh, uh, send the, get the first one made. Wow, wow. Good. It sounds like you got your hands full. Good, good. So a big thanks to everyone who has joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. And not forgetting as well, or everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast. And don't forget, if you do, download through iTunes or one of the other podcasty type download platforms. Don't forget, if you get five minutes, do, do give us a review because we do love that. So thanks to everyone in the chat room again. Thanks for joining us. And from me, Carlos here in my home studio, from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, from Nev in his glorious Buckinghamshire Studios, from Armando in the Summer Suite Studios in Charlotte, <laughs> and uh, from John in his studio somewhere in the world, and from James as well in his studio. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next Friday. Bye-bye, everyone. everyone.